when you were introduced to the gospel or have a relative who you got saved and, and came into the kingdom your first few steps, you were probably encouraged to read through the gospel of John, which I think is probably the place I would encourage anyone to start with just reading the Bible. Where should I start reading the Bible? I would encourage you to start reading in the gospel of John. And here would be why. John chapter 20, verse 30 says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And one of the things that's inherent, you know, the Word of God is is living and active, the Bible says. So when you read this book, In a mysterious and supernatural way, it is reading you. So you should always open this book with a great deal of care, because this isn't the newspaper, it's not an encyclopedia, it's not a history book. It's a living word, and it actually brings with it enablement by the Spirit. And so when you read this, as John points out here, these are written so that you may believe. And and I can remember... The early days of my pursuit of of knowing Christ were just beginning with reading the Bible. And it was an amazing thing for about four months of my life, just reading the Bible every day. Not a believer, had not come to a point of conversion, but just reading the Bible. And that word was reading me. It was informing me. It was affecting me. So I encourage you to do that. Read the Gospel of John if you're not familiar with reading the Bible. It's a great place to start. But that statement that John makes, he says, not only that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, but also that by believing, by believing, you may have life in his name. See, having life has to do with believing. Listen, the life you're living today has everything to do with what you're believing right now. Choices you're making, roads you're running down, Reasons that you're pulling your hair out, whatever it is that's going on in your world is being informed by whatever it is that you believe. So what we believe is critical of vital importance, but that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, what kind of life are we talking about here? Anybody who can read is alive, right? This isn't an admonition to dead people, or is it? Well, yeah. Yeah, not the kind of dead we're thinking of, but certainly in a spiritual condition of death that God wants us to experience a spiritual condition of life. And these verses today help us to frame a little bit about what does that life look like. So let me start reading here. John chapter 8, verse 31. I'm going to read through verse 36. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin, is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be 
free indeed. Father, help us this morning with these words, and for most of us, these familiar words. Lord, help us to do more than be familiar with your word. Help us to receive your word. Help us to believe your word so that we might know Christ as he is to be known and that we might have the life that you have purchased at such a great price. And that's why we're here this morning. Help us, Spirit of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I thought, okay, is this really an appropriate December 21st message? You know, we should be in the manger. We should be uh, hanging out with a Christmas passage here. And we often do that. But, you know, actually, I think in some ways this is, this is actually a more appropriate message. Uh, for one reason, because I, I think I titled this, What Does It Mean to Be Free? And, and that is kind of what, where we're headed. But I might retitle this thing after chewing on it a little bit. I might call it Gospel Freedom, The Neglected Gift Under the Tree. All right, do you have any of those gifts under your tree? You know, like... There's this massive amount of gifts that are gathering, I'm sure, at this point, under your tree, right? They're just spreading out, and over the next few days, they'll gather. And then the day after Christmas, there'll be this lonely little gift under the tree (laughs) that no one can explain, no one can remember. Who is it for? Who gave it? You know, because at some point, you're going to be like us, and you're going to run out of labels. So you just think you're going to remember stuff. And there's that gift just sitting by itself under the tree. And quite honestly... What we're going to look at today, I think gospel freedom is like that. It's like a gift that we have put among many gifts that we treasure. And we've run to open some of these gifts. But this one, this one somehow just gets left under the tree. Now, I want you to do a little bit of a self-analysis here. You know, the end of December also brings us to the end of the year and about... A week from now, you're going to start here in the, the year in review, 2008, the year that was. And there'll be all those programs and you'll watch all that stuff. And, and to some degree, you'll kind of do some kind of self-assessment. Even if you just hustle through it, you know, your, your mind's going to go back to, you know, less hair, more hair, more weight, less weight. How am I doing here? What kind of a hit did I take in my finances? So we're going to, we're going to assess ourselves in some way. Now, what I actually want you to do this morning... I left a little space in your outline here, and I just want to pause for a second and let you do this. I want, I want you to assess your freedom. Because this passage is about freedom. I want you to assess your freedom here. End of 2008, going into a new year. Two questions for you. In what area of your life would you significantly not be experiencing freedom? And I actually want you to put something here. So hopefully you've got stuff to write with. Everybody should come to church with stuff to write with, ready to receive from God. Second question is, describe the fallout effect of that in your life. What area of your life would you significantly not be experiencing freedom? And describe the fallout effect of that in your life. This is that odd moment in the sermon where it's awful quiet, you know? <laughs> Listen, sometimes we, we want to escape this, 
Right? I, I know I'm, I'm giving you a moment to actually put yourself on the plate here. But sometimes, that ain't why we come to church, is it? It's like, dude, what do you mean? I haven't thought about me. I mean, man, tell a joke. Give me a cool story. Tell me something about a Bible passage I didn't know before I came in here. But you're asking me about me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think for a moment. Where, where are you not experiencing freedom in your life? And how are you seeing that play out around you? I want to give you, I'll let you kind of fill that in more deeply as you reflect on the message afterwards. But I wonder how many in response to those questions, we talked about the fallout effect. How many of us, don't put your hands up, how many of us wrote down for the fallout effect of this diminished freedom in an area of our lives? The fallout effect of diminishing the image of the glory of God in your life. I'm going to just wrote down, that's the fallout effect. For me not to be experiencing and walking in freedom in this category means that the image and glory of God is being obscured and minimized. Now, I would guess, like me, your tendency would be, well, you know, how is this keeping me from this? Or how is this affecting people around me? And... Uh, how's this affecting my emotions or, you know, that might be where we go. And that's okay. That's true as well. But can I tell you the most important motivating dynamic that you and I have as Christians is what we said a few weeks ago is all things exist for the glory of God. Okay. We, we love the people around us and we want to serve them. So if we're experiencing diminished freedom in an area, it is spilling over into their lives. Undoubtedly. And affecting them, and that is a matter of importance. <clears throat> we are not experiencing something in our life that we would like to. And so there's a pleasure in that, that, that we're forfeiting because we're not experiencing freedom. And that's important as well. But there's nothing more important. And this is a challenge to us. And I, I think I need to come back to this for myself over and over and over again. There is no greater motivation for me than that I exist to bring glory to God. And it's like when we, when we hear that, we all go, well, yeah, yeah, I know that's true. But for some reason, that's not a good enough motive for us. It's like I could sell you something much quicker if I use something else as the motive. You're going to get something out of this. It's going to be so good for you. The people around you are going to benefit. They're going to be happier. That's true. That's true. I know I need to eat healthier or I need to stop being such a jerk or, you know, yeah, yeah, that's true. But the greatest motivation that exists in my life is the reason for which I'm created. For the glory of God. So whatever categories you find yourself assessing here at the end of 2008. Let the motivation that God intended be your primary motivation. God, I, I want my life to be an image of your glory. And freedom, as it's pertained in this passage, is an expression of your glory in my life. Let's go back to this passage for a moment here. Let's start with a little bit of vocabulary content because there are some ripe words in this passage. If you abide in my word, then you truly are my disciples. 
You'll know the truth. Truth will make you free. Right? Big concepts. What does it mean to abide? About being true disciples. If there's true disciples, are there fake disciples? Are there false disciples? Are there wannabes in the mix of that? About being free. What, is it, what does it mean to be free? Knowing the truth. What, what does that look like? And this passage is completely dependent upon defining those terms, which is true of almost all passages, but this one's got some edges on it. And starting with vocabulary, I think, is important because concepts are meant to be understood. Theology is meant to be understood. Statements in the Bible are meant to be explored by us and understood. And Jesus has to start with clarifying the concepts. When The moment he says this, instantly... The vocabulary, the concepts aren't being well received. The audience immediately. This audience, they already knew some things, right? They come back immediately with their own religious language, right? We've got a pool of information that's in us. And we're going to give this back to you, Jesus. Thank you for that information. Now let me tell you what we know. We know this and we believe this. But when Jesus responds to them, we find out that they conclude the wrong things based on what they know and what they believe. Now, can we think about putting ourselves in the crosshairs that these guys are in? It's not that they don't know something. It's not that they don't believe something. It's that they have concluded the wrong things with what they know and what they believe. They have, in your outline there, they believe that because they are children of Abraham, because we know that about ourselves and we believe something about that, Jesus, we don't really need what you're telling us. We don't need the revelation you're bringing to us. Because, you see, we, we're children of Abraham, so we're cool. Right? Two mistakes that I put in your outline. One, they assumed their tradition meant something that it did not. They assumed that if you were of the racial lineage of Abraham, then that equaled something. Remember, well, the Bible doesn't teach the racial lineage of Abraham that way. Right? Romans 9 says, hey... The question of Romans 9 is something, you know, the whole nation of Israel, something's gone wrong with them. God, did your word fail? Because they're your people. God said, no, my word didn't fail. They're not all Israel who have descended from Israel. But only those who are of the faith are descendants. And this whole picture here about the son and the slave, they're not all Abraham's descendants in the sense the Bible talks about Abraham's descendants just because they were born in the lineage of Abraham. I remember, and you go back to this, there's Ishmael and there's Isaac. There's two different branches of Abraham. So not all of them are the children of promise. So they've concluded, hey, if, if our great, 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 great grandfather and our traditions are bound up in a guy named Abraham, we're okay, Jesus. We kind of don't need what you're saying. Mistake number one. Mistake number two is they were biasly, I know that's not a word, but biasly and emotionally blind. Biasly and emotionally blind. I mean, you read this statement, you, you can read past it too fast, right? We're, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Hello? Is, is anyone home? You're a Jew. Good night, your resume is filled with enslavement. You were enslaved to the Egyptians, and then you were enslaved to the Assyrians, and then you were enslaved to the Babylonians, and now you're under Roman oppression. And I'm, not, I'm just creating a short list. You guys have lived oppressed and controlled and under the domination of others. 
But it's amazing when you're, when you're emotional about something. When you're, you're talking about my issue now. How blind you can become. And biased you can become. Now, let me tell you, Jesus is going to say some things right here that need to have an audience that will listen to him. And we may be a little bit different than these guys, but we're also very similar today. You bring the claims of Christ to someone's life, and maybe you've responded this way at some point, and you're going to get something that sounds like, well, what do you mean? I'm, I'm a good person. Right? What do you mean? Ah, well, you know, I don't, I don't really need what you're saying, you know, because I'm a good person. I go to church. I mean, if you're from New Orleans, you grew up Catholic. And you might as well be saying, I'm descended from Abraham. Right? For me, growing up Catholic meant that was, that was my identity. That was my background. That was a safe zone for me. I'm okay because that's where I come from, you see. So I don't really know what you got going on with all this Jesus stuff or, you know. I mean, I, I can still hear folks almost responding just like this. What do you mean you will become free? If you quote John chapter 1 verse 12 to someone, you get that same sort of thing. He came to his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him, to them who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What? What do you mean become children of God? Right? I mean, don't we all believe that everybody who draws breath and got born at any point in their life and exists? Aren't, isn't everybody a child of God? See, this is the kind of audience you have right here. So you're, you're making these deeper claims and you're saying something. Hey, you, you get to become a child of God. Well, I've always been a child of God. Listen, this is exactly what they are doing. And, you know, it's not just those of us who come from various religious backgrounds. You can be here today as a Christian. And God's trying to speak something deeper of his promises and his purposes into our lives. And I can be sitting here today going, listen, I, I've been saved since I was 10 years old, man. Or I can, you know, I'm, I'm a leader in the body of Christ. Now, listen, you know what? Let me just say this to all those who have ever led anything in the body of Christ. No one actually verbalizes that statement. Right? You don't ever walk in and kind of go, yeah, preach all you want, buddy. I'm a leader in the body. <laughs> But there is this dimension that we listen only through the ears of what everybody else needed to hear. Amen, brother. Amen, man. Preach it. <laughs> Some people here who need to hear that. Matter of fact, I can't wait to bring it up in my covenant group for a couple of people coming to group my, right now. Uh, we have this demeanor about us, about how we're going to receive things because we think we're finished product. We think, you know, I, I got this thing down. I'm good. And here comes God speaking to us something. And we're doing exactly what these guys do. Listen to us. This is a son of God with an incredible revelation, a wonderful promise. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, listen, only those in touch with the fact that they're not free would appreciate that statement. So that says a lot about why they respond the way they do, because they don't get what freedom really is. And they think they already are free. But here's the son of God with his great revelation from heaven. They answered him. You know, there's a point in which answering God isn't the right response. Because this is more akin to they talked back. They said, wait, but you don't understand. Right? This, how many of y'all had those conversations with God? God's given, delivering these incredible promises into your life. 
You're this. By the Spirit of God, you're this. You're capable as God. I'm calling you to this. You can do this. And there's all these great promises in the Word. And we want to talk back to God. We want to tell God, well, um, accept. Or not for me. Or you don't understand. Right? We're talking back to God. Why is it that we just don't have this passion to humbly receive what God says? God says you can do something incredible, like in these passages, overcome sin. And all of us, all of us want to pull out our background, our resume, and say, yeah, that's easy for you to say you weren't raised like this, or you're not married to this. Or, you know. We've got a whole list of talking back to God. Rather than saying, if you say that's the truth, that's the truth. And I believe it. But we're here with these guys. They're confused. They don't get the concepts. And sometimes neither do we. So what does it mean to be free? Jesus makes this incredible statement. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. That's a guarantee. And the truth will set you free. That's a guarantee as well. What does this freedom look like? What kind of freedom are we talking about here? Turn back to Isaiah chapter 61 with me. I think what I want to accomplish most today is just getting us in the ballpark of the freedom that God is talking about. I think I said this last week. You know, sometimes terminologies mean something to us in a way that's actually harmful for us to understand and appreciate what the Bible's saying. Because we have our own definition. We think freedom means something that that's not what exactly the Bible was talking about when it talked about freedom. But the Bible talks a lot about freedom, and we, we could go on and on and on looking at passages. But here's a great verse, because it, it prophesies what Jesus' ministry would be about through the prophet Isaiah over 700 years before Christ. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And this is going to be what Jesus quotes at the beginning of his ministry. Because the Lord has anointed me, here's the purpose, to bring good news to the poor. That's the gospel, right? To bring the gospel. We talked about that last week. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I just want to stop there. The rest of these are, are just pronouncing the God, God's favor upon us. The season of God's favor has come for the people of God. Now, you need to understand something, and at some point I'm, I'm going to teach more deeply in a couple of these areas. For these people who had lived in the day of the covenant at Mount Sinai and the law being given and the prophets who came and reminded them over and over and over again about that, there was a different feel for this word right here, that there was coming a day when it would be a day of God's favor upon you in a different way. That day is coming and you should be anticipating it. In that day, which by the way is the day that we live in. When Jesus stood up and he opened the scrolls and he read from Isaiah. He said, I am fulfilling the scriptures. This is the day that that was spoken about. I'm the one anointed to do these things. And listen to what he says. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. 
Now, is this just a natural explanation? Is, is Jesus talking about going to Angola and busting open jails? Is he talking about political captives in third world countries where there's an evil regime and Jesus has come? With a social agenda that he's going to let all those captives go free. He's going to establish a different form of government. People who are in jail are going to be opened up and released. Right? See, I need to know what freedom is being talked about here. Jesus, what freedom are you describing when you say you're going to open prison doors? And you're going to proclaim the captives are free. Does that have anything to do with me? See, my concepts need to kind of get underneath this here and see, am I believing some of this stuff? Look in your outline there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, the New Testament. Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? right? Listen carefully. There is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Now, Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord was not there the way in which He is here today. This is a new era that we live in. In this area where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is not hopefully one day going to be freedom. We long for the day when that freedom will come. Now, that's how Isaiah sounded. Isaiah is looking forward to the day of great favor. This day when these things will happen. Now the New Testament is saying the Spirit of the Lord is here now. And where He is, there is freedom right now. So whatever doors are open, whatever proclamation for captives to go free is operating in our midst right this minute in our lives. Galatians 5 verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. When did he do that? Well, he already did it. We watched this morning. He did it at the cross. He did it through the resurrection. And it is now present in us through the Holy Spirit. So he has accomplished this. It is a past completed action. It's not as though he did part one and then there's going to be part two. He has accomplished what needed to be accomplished to set us free. Therefore, now here's the implication of that. Today, right now, in our lives, facing every moment, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I, I, I take it when the Bible warns me about don't do something, it warns me about that because I can do it. And probably because many folks would be prone to do exactly what it's saying. Usually, this, especially the, the letters in the New Testament are written typically in response to situations that already exist. So more than likely you have Paul who knows that there are some people, rather than standing in, continuing in, and benefiting from the freedom that they have in Christ, they're not doing that. And he's having to tell them, stand firm. And he simply provides a reason why they can. And don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, what are these verses talking about? What is Jesus talking about? He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And all this freedom talk... Well, it might be helpful for us to see what this is not talking about. To help us to look in the right direction. What this freedom is not. One, it's not a political structure. You know, where do we live? America, the land of the... Really? 
Is that what this Bible verse is talking about? Right? We have this tendency, especially because, because we're Americans and we have messed with this idea of freedom and we have built government around ideas of freedom and individual rights and democracy, and, which are all great things. I, I'm, I'd rather live here than anywhere else. But be very careful that we are not more Americanized when it comes to freedom than we are theologized when it comes to freedom. It's not as though those in America are free and those in Cuba are not. That's not what this verse is about. That's not the kind of freedom this is talking about. Matter of fact, you find very little information and interaction in the New Testament where governments are needing to be overthrown. You can't find that anywhere. Now, that was the thought of those who followed Jesus. They wanted a political solution to the, the issues in their life. They wanted to crown Jesus, make him king, and let him bring in a kingdom that way. Well, he was a king, and he's about a kingdom. But it wasn't the way they had thought. Similar situation here. Freedom is for us, but not necessarily the freedom that allows you to elect government officials who are supposed to do what you've asked them to do. That's not what this is about. It's not freedom from experiencing life in a fallen world. A life where there's mistreatment. There's ill health. There are oppressive regimes. There's indwelling sin. There is our own weaknesses. There are the weaknesses of others. See, all those things produce a dynamic on us. They produce a, a, what seems to be a burden, a weight. I mean, you list any of those elements. People mistreating you, that, that's, that, that gets in your mind. You dwell on it. You feel weighed down by it. Ill health. All, all these things can begin to feel like a yoke on our lives. And so they begin to, you know, okay, well, I don't, I don't feel free. <clears throat> well, quite honestly, in this world, you are not free from those issues touching your life. And Jesus said things like in Matthew chapter 10. He said, brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures, right? These are not easy words. To the end will be saved. When they, when, they, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I mean, you got, you got a picture of this, right? When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. I mean, it's an interesting word there. It's not like kiss and hug goodbye. I mean, everything's going to be resolved before you leave. It's not like, hey, listen, hey, look, thanks for putting the rocks down. Really, I, mean, I appreciate that, you know. We're all right, huh? I'm going to go on now, okay? I'm going to go on to the next town. No, run for your life because <laughs> they're going to stone you to death. Flee. I mean, this is not a pretty picture. First Peter, years later into the New Testament church. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Right? Is, is Peter out of touch with freedom and the doctrines of freedom here? No. No, he's in touch with the doctrine of freedom that Jesus was talking about. It, we're not exempt from that. It's not freedom from temptation to sin or from the mortal combat of mortifying sin. Right? In this world, temptation exists. And temptation brings with it an occupying dynamic in our lives. It interferes with us, draws us away, challenges us, makes us feel a certain way. And then there's the mortifying of sin when sin kind of gains ground in our lives and then we're called to, to take up arms against it and force it out of our lives. 
Well, listen, if you've mortified sin at all in your life, you know that's not a real cooperative effort. You know, sin doesn't, you know, it doesn't surrender. It doesn't wave a flag and go, listen, I'm, I'm just kind of tired of being here. You know, I think we're going to move on. Hey, stand next to that guy over there. I'd just like to jump on him. Yeah, it's in you and it doesn't want to leave. And when you decide, no, I want righteousness to take its place, you know, it's going to hunker down. And when you go to deal with it, it's going to be a mortal combat with this thing. Well, how free is that? Well, it is. It, that's the freedom. That's part of the freedom. Now, listen, in heaven, none of that exists, right? There's a, there's a freedom in heaven that's different than here, that there, there's no more mortal combat. There's no more fighting sin. There's no more temptation. Right? But that's not here. It's not freedom from wrestling with opposition. Right? We're told to put on the full armor of God and be able to stand, therefore, why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against powerful forces in heavenly places of darkness that come against the work of God in our life. So you're going to find yourself wrestling, sweating in combat. That's, that's part of our freedom here. It's not freedom from difficulty and struggle and disappointment. Now look at these passages, Hebrews chapter 12. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. First Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. It's not freedom from experiencing consequences of sinful choices in this world. Right? Sometimes we make decisions in our life that bring with it a sense of difficulty, reaping of some elements from those choices. Example is in there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, all these things are being described in the Bible as part of the Christian life. In a day in which the Bible is telling us, you, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To Christians who are still experiencing these things. Now, I say this because the freedom being described in the Scripture, it, it's, it's not a Disney vacation. Right? When nobody's got to go to work, you know, our only agenda is to sleep late and quickly, as fast as we can, run to the rides. That's a Disney vacation. That's not the Christian life. And some of us feel like we, we got some kind of a dud. It's like, you know, I'm so confused. I'm so disillusioned. You know, I don't know whether to trust God in my life because it's, you know, things have been so hard. And then, you know, and then we hear verses about you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah, right. Can I, here's a, a key element here before I move on to narrowing our understanding of freedom. Key element, I put it in your outline, the confusing conflict of data that's flowing in and out of us. American culture labels certain things good, doesn't it? Certain lifestyles, certain uh, monetary levels, certain ability to have activities in our lives, to travel, to have people in our life a certain way, air-conditioned comfort and ease. That's good. Those are good things. They're featured on commercials. It's the good life. Well, God is good. 
Therefore, God should give us the American dream. Okay, can you travel with me just here for a second? Because this is the theology of the church in this country. And this is somewhat our theology because we live in this country. These things are good. Look at them. Look how they're enjoying it. Look at them in the commercial. This is good. We should have these things. God is good. He would want these for me. If he's good, he would want me to have things that are good. He would want me to be happy. Listen, do you know, listen, can I save myself some, some marriage counseling here and all the rest of the staff? If you're planning on coming to tell us that you feel like God wants you to get out of your marriage because God would want you to be happy. Can I just save you a visit? <laughs> we won't be concluding that point with you at the end of that hour. But do you understand why we go there? Because I've been told these things are good. I've been told God is good. Therefore, God would want these things for me. He would not want inconvenience. He would want traffic lights that work. He would want air conditioning that works. He would want things like that for me. If I was God, I would want that for me. <laughs> right? Right? Observation number one, you are not God. <laughs> uh, and I certainly hope God is not modeling himself after me. But this is, this is a real train wreck for us. Because it's how we think. And we find God guilty. Find God guilty of not being a good God. Good based on what? Right? On, on what we've been polluted by and, and caused to think. Listen, the New Testament believers were living a different world. They were not on a Disney vacation. And, and that was probably more clearly understood by them. And so therefore, they didn't traffic in some of these issues the way we do. But what is this freedom? Well, let me narrow it to two things here, which I think is everything else comes out of this. One, it is freedom from the power and dominion of sin. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free from what? From the power and dominion of sin, from its right to enslave you. See, un until you're a disciple of Christ, sin has the right to enslave you. It has the right to get in your life and throw shackles around you every moment it wants to, to the degree that it wants to. It has the right to do that. And it has the power to do that. And you're a slave to that. You don't have any power to not be a slave to it. That's what they got, took offense at. We're descendants of Abraham, man. Let me tell me I'm enslaved to stuff. Well, that's exactly what the Bible says. I am enslaved to those things. But there's this great news Great, incredible news. And I really do want to take more time to explore this in the coming days. <clears throat> look, in, look in Romans chapter 6. This freedom described by Christ is here described as freedom from the power and dominion and control and the right. There's this word in the, in the, in the Greek that's used in several places in Scripture called exousia. And it's, it's kind of a hard word to translate because it has balled into it authority and power kind of all wrapped up into it. It's sort of the right to exercise power. And sin kind of has that in our lives until, until you get out of Adam and into Christ, until you are a different person, until you are saved, until you are in the kingdom of God. Now you are no longer a part of the kingdom of darkness and sin does not have that right over you any longer. Listen to how Paul describes, look back up to verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign 
in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Why? Why can I do all that? For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Well, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once, were once, past tense, who you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are or were committed. Something's happened here. Some radical freedom has come so that sin is no longer to be this controlling, dominating influence in your life. It's not supposed to be that way anymore. And if you know the truth, well, there's the truth, then you're going to be liberated and set free from that dominance. Second aspect I want to make sure we collect in here. It's freedom from the condemnation of the law. See, when God brought the law to man, he immediately imposed upon man a scale to which man now has in him this sense of trying to live up to something, trying to be good enough, trying to be good enough often enough, trying to enhance and improve performance. Now listen, this is found in so many counseling meetings and therapy sessions. The problem is people don't take it back to the law of God. You know that low-grade sense of guilt that you live with in your life? That you're falling short. That you're not doing enough. That you're not good enough. That God couldn't possibly because you don't. That people couldn't love you because of the way you are. That, that, that sense of failure that's in you. Do you know what the epicenter of that thing is? It's not your, your relatives that have treated you poorly. It's not even... The issue that you think you failed at so badly. It's the law of God. It's when God introduced to his universe the law of righteousness. And he said, here's what's right. And he just sticks it in the room. You walk in the room with that thing now, you immediately sense you're not right. I'm not right. And now you're going to try to go about fixing it. Well, how are you going to fix that? Well, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do right. That's what I'll do. I'll do right. Well, really, how often are you going to do right? Well, I've been doing really pretty good. But you still feel that way, don't you? Yeah. So I'm going to just do more. I mean, 2009's coming. It's a whole new year. It's January. I'm starting over. I'm going to get a fresh start. Okay? Haven't you lived long enough to know that you won't even make it through January? (laughs) And you're going to be falling short. See, it's a principle that God set in the universe. It's the revelation of his goodness that always makes us feel like we're not good enough. Because we're not good enough. (laughs) That's just a reality. Now, fixing that is the challenge. But as long as you try to fix it in a way that's not God's remedy, you are in bondage to that. The Bible clearly describes it that way. You are bound to the law. 
in your life. And it will operate even if you don't sit up every morning and go, okay, let me recite the Ten Commandments. Boom, 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 boom. No, you're, you're experiencing the principle of the law all over the place. It's that conscious dynamic of you that just gives you that low-grade sense of guilt. So these would be the big issues, right? Just turn over one, one page to Romans chapter 8. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no letting you know you fall short, no reminder and reminder and reminder that you're not good enough and you don't meet the standard. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And let me just tell you, when, we, when this Bible talks about freedom, gospel freedom, it is talking about freedom from the power and dominion of sin, and it is talking about freedom from the condemnation of the law. And out of that freedom comes all kinds of freedom in our lives. But without those two freedoms comes no freedom in significant categories like we're talking about. Now look at this thought from J.C. Ryle for a moment. He says, wherein does the liberty of true Christians consist? Of what is their freedom made up? They are freed from the guilt and consequences of sin by the blood of Christ. Justified, pardoned, forgiven. They can look forward boldly to the day of judgment and cry, Who shall lay anything to our charge? Who is he that condemneth? They are freed from the power of sin by the grace of Christ's Spirit. Sin has no longer dominion over them. Renewed, converted, sanctified, they mortify and tread down sin and are no longer led captive by it. Now that is incredible news. But, let me be honest, if we get into our day-to-day and who I am and who I'd like to be, part of me wants to go, oh, is that all it is? I don't know why. I thought I thought it'd be something more than that. So those two things. That's that's kind of what it's about, huh? I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, just got a lot going on in my life. I mean, there's a lot of issues, a lot of things. I was just kind of hoping it would be something different, right? Kind of hoping that list of things I just told you it was not. Kind of hoping it would be a lot of those things. Kind of hoping I'd be free from a lot of that stuff, you know? So wow, I don't know. I'm, I mean, Keith, that sounds really cool. And J.C. Riley's from the 1800s. He says things in a unique way. I know I'm supposed to be excited about that, right? I'm supposed to be theologically excited. But I'm kind of, just kind of hoping for more, honestly. Right? It's kind of like that Christmas present that you open and you're kind of like, oh. <laughs> you know, I have a, a landmark historic moment. I don't remember how old I was. My brother might remember how old I was. But one year, you know, there's always the anticipation of what you're getting for Christmas, right? You, you make your list, check it twice, and you make sure your parents checked it twice. And you're just hoping for these things. Well, there was this one year, I don't know what it was that I was hoping for, but my parents were so excited to give me a croquet set. <laughs> I can see some of you have gotten this. I remember crying when I opened it. <laughs> Uh, and now I feel so bad for them, but I'm thinking, a croquet set? It's like, 
no, uh, that's, uh, that's wasn't, I mean, it was like, that was like the big one too. That was like the big gift. Croquet set. Not anything else. Is there, is this like the warm up gift for the big one? You know, I'm afraid that sort of this, the gospel freedom is the unappreciated, unopened gift. America sits and tells us, it's good if you can have this, have life this way, experience life this way. The gospel comes along and tells us, I'm going to free you from the dominion and power of sin and from the condemnation of the law. And we open it up like it's a croquet set. Oh. Wow. I guess this is good, huh? It's like we live in the wrong realm. We, like we don't understand freedom. Do you understand the, the God who wanted to set us free? He had categories of freedom that he was incredibly excited about for our lives to experience. In your outline it says, it is freedom in the most important categories of our lives. Whether or not we see it that way, now that's the real challenge, isn't it? <clears throat> You know, we had this, this worldly, subtle, blinding effect that we almost value any freedom more. We, we, I mean, there's other freedoms that, in, that we can have in this world that we just value more. I mean, we are spending billions of dollars and we are ending people's lives on this planet forever so that people might have political freedom. Right? And regardless of your views on war, most of us you know, here would, would, would say, well, but there's times in which war is important. It's necessary. And, and yeah, that's true. But I just want to notice how much, how much we will go to, to the extent of freedom, political freedom. People living under a government that's not totalitarian and, and, and terrorizing them. The freedoms that that brings with it. You know, yes, we'll send our sons and our daughters to die for that. Listen, I'm not telling you we shouldn't do that. I'm just telling you, do you see how much that freedom has been taught to matter to us? There's there's a freedom in the passing pleasures of sin. They know that the way to combat the passing pleasures of sin is through spiritual disciplines. But you know what? I'd, I'd rather be free from spiritual disciplines in order to have the passing pleasures of sin. Isn't that amazing? I value this freedom more than I value that one. See, it's a matter of battling through our freedom. Some, some of us are living lives that are this big rather than lives that are this big. You know why? Because we're afraid to fail. It's afraid to try something, afraid to step out, afraid to put our lives on the line. Right? So for the, for the sake of the, the freedom of not having failure in our life, we won't venture out. We won't experience freedom in another category. See, it's a matter of what you believe, what freedom is most important to you. And, and we get sold on that. We get convinced on that. The Bible sounds like it's speaking a foreign language. Look in your outline. I said this. We've bought the idea that the pleasures of money and lifestyle are worth more than freedom from the power of sin made known to us in Christ. Now you think about that with me for a second. In this room, we are experts on technology, on gadgets, on the latest fads, right? I mean, we could get a conversation going right now in a bunch of categories, and we would be well-informed, we'd be up-to-date, because we're experts in those lifestyle issues, but we are 
novices when it comes to the theology of Romans and Galatians. We could run out of conversation very quickly. Well, well, why do we spend so much time? Because these gadgets bring us freedom that we want. Oh, Romans and Galatians. Oh, really? Your outline says, we're convinced that experiencing the love and acceptance of people is worth more than the freedom from condemnation that makes us loved and accepted by God. Listen, how many of us are just living with conversations going on in our heads? Living thinking what people are thinking. Right? I mean, I don't have enough brain space for what I'm thinking. I don't really need to be getting into your head. You know? I mean, most of us struggle with math, for goodness sake. We don't need to be managing other people's minds. But we're worried about it. We're trying to figure out who accepts us and who likes us and who loves us. And we dwell on these things and we think about these things. We've got high schoolers who are, who are depressed because they don't fit into a group. A group that didn't even exist in their life a year ago. All of a sudden, that group and who they are and how they feel about me, whether they accept me or not, is everything that's about them. It shrouds their feelings. The junior hires who are terrified, terrified to wear the wrong thing. What if I got labeled? What if they labeled me? And I wouldn't fit in. Right? I, I, I wish this was something we grew out of when we got out of high school. Right? I mean, there's some of us today who are just so, we're so worried about whether people accept us. We're so controlled by that, you know, whether we fit in with the pretty people. You know who the pretty people are? Not the same group, right? Different pretty people sets for different people here today. But we want to fit in with whoever the pretty people are. You know, we're concerned about whether we wear the right clothes, you know. We can't wear that because the pretty people would think poorly of us. The car we drive. Oh, you drive. We'll go in your car. The little things every day in our life. Say, no, 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 not not to my house. Um, We'll just meet at Starbucks. Yeah, why? Because, well, you know, you don't feel like your house is, you know, doesn't fit the pretty people model enough. And, And we live in this. Listen, all the while, the acceptance of God is completely ours. God accepts us, but we're, well, you know, I'm not really worried about that. I'm worried about whether you accept me. Wait, wait. You have the acceptance of God, and you're not benefiting from it. And you're working like a full-time job on gaining the acceptance of others. Right? Do you understand? This is a gift sitting unopened under the tree. But what brings me to that point? See, it is me being informed that the God of the universe has released me from the law's demands on my life. He has set himself in the room with me. And by the grace of God and by the work of the cross, I no longer feel a comparison with him that way. I no longer am trying to gain his acceptance. See, ultimately, the acceptance of people highlights how little we are experiencing the acceptance of God. If you are desperately running from person to person to person trying to gain acceptance, if you really want to cut the wires to that thing, trace it all the way back until you get to these verses and find out where it is that the acceptance of God doesn't connect with you. And then we're going to follow these verses 
all the way to our freedom. Right, look, at, look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians opens with telling us that we have been made completely accepted in the beloved. Completely accepted. And then it gives us these images in chapter 2 to explain what this homecoming looks like. This welcome back to God. This acceptance before the God of the universe who made us, who our hearts long to be accepted by. But honestly, most of our desire to be accepted by others is, is misplaced desire is what it is. It's me seeking to get from you what I'm not getting from God. That I was designed to get from God. If you want to know the number one killer in marriages, there it is. And to get something from your spouse that you were supposed to get from God. Look in verse 11, Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, right? Apparently they wore the wrong thing to school that day. By what is called the circumcision, pretty people, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did he do that? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access and one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How did all this happen? When Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and pulled the demands of the law off of us. So you don't ever have to measure up. You don't ever have to be good enough, often enough, convincingly enough, See, now, these, these are truths that will set us free. These are basic truths. This isn't pop psychology. This is deep theology. This is what God intended to be the, the seedbed of freedom in our lives. You will know the truth. What truth are we talking about? We're talking about these truths right here. And the truth will set you free into the realms of your life. There's so much laboring going on because we don't have it right of how God relates to us, how God feels about us. The acceptance that's in Him, like Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now you take that verse apart. Accept one another the same way you've been accepted. Now, how many of us have a problem accepting others? 
How many of us having a problem whether somebody else accepts us or not? Pull the wire until you get to this point. You have a problem with Christ having accepted you. That's where your problem is. See, if you've been accepted by a perfect God with all the spots and wrinkles you got in your life, and you turn around to somebody else and you've got a problem accepting them, my question for you is, I don't think you really understand your acceptance in God then. That's where the problem is. All right, and look at these rich verses. We're going to close in prayer in just a moment. But I just want you to get the tone of the passion of God that he thinks toward us. In Luke 15, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Right? These people are falling short. They don't measure up. How on earth could God possibly be accepting them? So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, you know, God gets in the room with you. And if you're you're not understanding the truth, the second you get in the room with him, you feel condemned. You don't experience a, a rejoicing God. Your God doesn't run across the room and hug you and smile and put you on his shoulders and be delighted in you. He just lets me know that I fall short. Lets me know I'm not good enough. Well, that's not what God's doing. That's what the law is doing to you. And it's only doing that to you because you don't understand how to believe God. Can you hear God's delight? Even Isaiah spoke of it. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married. Why? For the Lord delights in you. See, this is, this is the day of God's favor that, that, that we have ignored. The day of God's favor where he delights in you. Now remember what Jesus said. Because this is a freedom that I can't lay hands on you and give you this freedom. That's not how Jesus said this freedom comes. Jesus spoke about abiding in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I want to be free. Give me the freedom. Okay. You want the freedom? Then abide in the word of God. Because the reason why we're not experiencing the freedom is not because we're not free. Everything that needed to be done for us to be free has already been done. Freedom is already there. Jail doors are already open. We don't walk through them because we don't abide in the truth of God. Now that's an issue that each of us need to assess. Is, well, why is that? 
Now, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to pray for us this way as we close. I'd like to suggest that you kind of take an overdose IV of Romans 6, 7, and 8 in the book of Galatians. I'm going to suggest that if you put down a significant area of struggle for freedom in your life in the beginning, now listen, I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, yeah, but I'm, I put down my weight, man. How does this got anything to do with my weight? Well, the freedom that God said would bring the freedoms into our lives, it was freedom from the power and dominion of sin and freedom from the condemnation of the law. So if you want to have any freedom, they're going to grow out of that. And if I don't know much about that, then I'm going to struggle with freedom. Freedom will be far from me. But if I abide in God's word, I want to ask you to just, just start reading. Just spend, spend the next few weeks reading those passages over and over and over and over again. You'd be amazed at how many times when you've gone back through it the third and fourth time, something begins to now click and make sense. And you get insight and the Holy Spirit zeroes in on issues of your heart and makes these pronouncements real in your heart. Listen, we, we want freedom in our life, but the pathway to freedom passes through the abiding in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit drawing you into that, that truth. And it will set you free. Let's stand up together. know that there are many stories that communicate to us the costly price of freedom. We have heard them by being a part of this country that we live in. People have fought and died for freedoms that we experience. People in other parts of the world have fought and died for freedoms Lord, in the scope of eternity, in the light of your counsel and wisdom, those freedoms are far eclipsed by the freedom that was bought by the one who suffered and died in our place. Lord, what rich, deep, provoking, enabling, releasing truths it is to know that the tyranny and reign of sin in our lives is over. We're no longer subject to that king. He may speak and threaten and press on us, but he has no rights over us any longer. God, what freedom we have before you that you do not condemn us. That your law no longer has jurisdiction over us. We are now in the day of your grace in your son, completely accepted. No longer to be reminded over and over and over again, we fall short, we fall short, we fall short. But now, Lord, you rejoice 
over us. Now, Lord, your delight is in us. God, help us to see you in your word. By your spirit, God, help us. In days ahead, God, help us. Lay great foundations for this coming year to be the year of incredible freedom in our lives. That you might be glorified in us. 